Well, welcome to the podcast. This is a chat with Hank, and I'm Hank Multala. Well, thanks for taking some time to listen today. And as I've mentioned before, I really enjoy having conversations uh, when I'm learning something. And, and I'm sure you agree, if, if you're not going to listen if you don't take away an idea or two and perhaps simultaneously enjoy the dialogue. The subject today, which is marketing, falls beyond just the focus of the financial industry and, and has much broader applications. <clears throat> but let's assume you're a financial practitioner or a firm. You, know, you could be a sole proprietor, multi-partner practice, a hybrid RIA, OSJ, asset manager, investment manager, or any other boutique, mid-tier, large firm or organization. The challenge nowadays is how to best market your wares, your abilities, your solutions to really attract clients, uh, maintain retention, and generating quality revenues or whatever your objectives may be. And I've known today's guest for about seven years and actually worked with her for almost two. And I was always impressed with her quality of work, uh, her ability to consult and to grasp the finer points of a marketing project. And she always had a great work ethic. Uh, today's discussion is with Erica de Blasi. Uh, Erica is the president and founder of Advisor Expressions, which is a marketing f- partner for financial professionals. And it would be for those who really lack the time to market uh, their service. So Advisor Expressions acts as your marketing coach and quarterback, really all in one. So simply they provide a a very broad spectrum of marketing communication strategies, and then they implement it, and then they monitor it for you, which sure sure the hell makes the commitment to a marketing strategy <clears throat> much more attainable. So Erica has worked as a marketing executive for multiple independent broker-dealers, where she was responsible for, for marketing, for branding, for advertising, as well as uh, the communication activities for the firm, But simultaneously, she also delivered to advisors at those firms an extensive and, I would say, comprehensive variety of of marketing and communication tools. And she also trained uh, individuals on how to best implement them. And I'm sure it was this passion of really engaging and, and working directly with advisors is what prompted the formation of Advisor Expressions. Uh, she also worked in in design and marketing capacities for a variety of companies, uh, including, you know, there's been some national publications, and she's worked for the PGA of America headquarters and has a very broad experience in print and digital marketing, uh, media development, as well as corporate media marketing. Uh, Eric and I share some personal thoughts. We discuss why <clears throat> leaving the corporate side and creating her own firm was the best thing to do. We dive into digital marketing strategies, the challenges, the essentials of a marketing strategy, and she also shares a a foolproof marketing process that she created. So I'm I'm sure you'll get some great ideas uh, from our time together. And now I bring you a chat with Erica de Blasi. Well, I'm here with Erica. Erica, thanks for joining me today and let me uh, butt into your busy day. Thank you so much. I'm really happy that we're able to finally do this. Yeah, me too. So 
obviously, I, you know, the one aspect I really enjoy about podcasts is that it really delivers a nice in-depth look into a subject that you're really not going to get from a website. So I'm really looking forward to you sharing your message with our listeners. But before we get into the, into the discussion, I wanted to just get a better understanding of what attracted you, not just the marketing, but stepping into the realm of developing your own business that's focused specifically in the financial services space. Sure. So I won't, um, this could be a, a long-winded answer, but I'm going to keep it Go ahead. kind of um, short so that we keep the interest, hopefully, of your listeners. Um, I actually ended up coming into financial services because I had a graphic design degree in business. That was my background. I actually started out working in the tabloids was my start oh, okay. in college. Yeah. So had some fun, interesting times there. But I ended up after a while of having my own design business looking for something in-house with a regular paycheck. This was about 11 years ago. And I found mm -hmm. a creative services manager position that was at a broker dealer here in Florida. And so that's how I got my entry into financial services. And, you know, I had to I had some catching up to do. I had some learning to do so that I could show the advisors at the firm and the people that I was going to be creating content for that I was on the same page and on the same level. So I had to get my, I didn't have to, but I chose to get my series seven. Um, I became a certified retirement counselor and I really just enjoyed the industry and the work that advisors are doing to help people plan for their financial futures. So after working in-house for a while, that was a great experience. The firm changed hands multiple times. Um, one of the best things about that experience is I got to meet people like you along the way, because whenever firms change hands and there's different ownership and different Did you say that partners, was a good thing? Or? That was a good thing, yes. That's one of the pros is I got to meet a lot of different people. But after a while of doing that, my entrepreneurial spirit popped back up and I decided to go back out on my own so that I could get back to working directly with advisors. And so now I'm able to take that information and experience that I had working in-house running creative services and creating marketing material and doing training with advisors on the materials. Now I can do that directly with advisors, which is great. That's fantastic. Well, I think it's also really unique from a marketing perspective that you usually don't find people in marketing who have their licenses and have gone beyond right. that. And because this way you get to, you get to really not just understand, but really, really know what the person does and, and get a better feeling of, of the, of the finer points when you're trying to assist somebody. So, right. um, you know, I, you know, so let's, let's dig into advisor expression. So let's sure. just, so there's a common reference point, tell us about the firm and, and what you specifically do and, and who your typical target audience is. So we work with independent financial advisors, with broker dealers, with RIAs and other financial companies who need marketing support. So that could be a group of advisors that is doing well. They want to have ongoing emails, social media. They want their website updated, but they just don't have the time to do that themselves. And so they want to hire someone that's going to not only come up with the plan and the strategy, but going to actually execute it, monitor it on an ongoing basis. So somebody like that is a good fit for us. Somebody who wants not just the canned content, they want to have unique custom 
written content, custom designed content that really reflects their brand, their personality, their message. Those are the type of people that come to me and it's a good fit for us to help make sure all that's happening on a regular basis. And then we show them Mm -hmm. reporting on here's how it's going. Here's how that's working. Right, right. Like I referred to in the introduction, a quarterback and and a coach during this whole process. Right, exactly. So, (laughs) yeah. So you and I have discussed the necessity of a of a well thought out digital marketing plan for businesses. And I'm assuming with regards to COVID, the plan is more important than ever. And I'm sure you'd probably agree this agree uh, that that's accurate. So how has advisor marketing specifically changed uh, since COVID began? Well, advisors who ignored their digital presence had some scrambling to do to get caught up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything from, you know, trying to, to adjust to doing online meetings or, um, you know, different ways to interact with their clients. There was some things like that, that advisors who weren't already doing those things and had those things integrated were focused on doing. So other than referrals from your friends, your online presence is how people are judging you before they meet you. So if they, even if they do get a referral from their friend, they're probably going to look you up online and take a look at who is this person? What does their website look like? What kind of content is here? Um, That's why you can't afford to not nurture your website, your traffic, your content, your client communications, all that stuff that goes into your digital footprint. Um, Mm -hmm. And even for client retention purposes, you want to continually remind them of the value you bring. And that's, you know, a lot of times you don't maybe have time to be doing in-person meetings as much as you'd like with your clients or with your prospects. So you're going to have to rely on some of those digital communications. So your email campaigns, your social media, the articles that you're adding to your website, that all can be used to inform the people you're trying to speak with. So you know, the advisors I'm working with, obviously, we were already doing all of that. So it was more a shift internally during COVID of, like I said, shifting to doing online meetings with their clients rather than the in-person ones. But the digital marketing, we were already doing it. So it was keeping it going. And it was interesting because I, you know, I work remotely, my whole team, we all work remotely. So we didn't really have a hiccup in how we were doing business during all of this. But oh, okay. some of the advisors, I was wondering, you know, is it going to slow down? Are people going to pull back from wanting to do as much marketing or their, you know, their focuses on their internal processes and how other things have shifted with their business? But it was interesting. We actually saw an uptick, not just because advisors were trying to adjust to a more digital online presence and business model, but because they actually had some time to reflect on their business. So I had some people that called up and said, all right, I finally took this time to look at my business and what I want to be doing, what I should be doing. And the marketing is something I have just kept putting on the back burner and I'm ready to address it now and focus on it. So it was, it was some surprises that had popped up during that time as well. Right, right. So one thing you mentioned in, in, in the detail of what COVID's done is you mentioned retention. And I know you're familiar with 
there was a study, I think you may have referenced it on your website, the yeah. CFA Institute did a study on how retail advisors hire a, a uh, or how retail investors hire a financial advisor, but they also addressed why clients leave a financial advisor. So can you share a little bit in the results and, and what they found and, and how does marketing really help to improve client retention? Yes. So there, they had an interesting study. This was a while back in 2016, and they talked about the top two reasons that were cited for leaving an investment firm. And the top two reasons were underperformance, but also lack of communication. And mm -hmm. they had some studies where they talked about what people, um, what are the things that the, the attributes that they're looking for when they're selecting a financial advisor. And people chose trustworthiness over investment performance when selecting a financial advisor. So I think this is interesting and hopefully not surprising for advisors to hear. It highlights that we as people, as investors, we're rational people, but we're also emotional. So we're going to make some right. choices that are based off of how do I feel about you? Do I trust you? Um, are you communicating with me? Are you staying in touch with me? So the advisor needs to cater to both aspects of that. Uh, I'd, I'd even go so far as to say the larger part of the job is probably helping your clients to overcome their emotional reactiveness to the markets and money. And so we also need to think about the emotional aspects of your messaging and how you're presenting yourself when someone's choosing you or when someone's looking at your site or your content. So I would say make sure that your messaging talks about more than just the services you provide, more than just the credentials. So what value do you bring? How are you helping the client? So touching on things like um, who are you and what are you all about? Mm -hmm. What are the values that you have? What are the values that your company has? And that helps the person to get to know you. That helps them to decide if they think that you're trustworthy and then having those ongoing communications and staying top of mind with your current clients to remind them of those things. Here's the value I'm bringing. Here's how I'm helping you. I'm staying on top of these things. I'm monitoring your money so you can live a, a less stressful life and focus on other issues that you don't have to worry about this. So reminding people of that. And of course, also the <laughs> performance people want to know about, and they're going to be checking that as sure. well. But yeah you know, it's right up there at the top of the list. And, and it's something that can be pretty easily fixed. Um, if you put the time or the resources towards it. Right, right. Yeah, I remember being an advisor myself. And when I left the institutional side after 14 years, <clears throat> I realized from clients, they said, you know, I, I don't, I don't hear from my advisor, my wealth manager and things like right. that. So it was, it was not uncommon to, you know, you get a client, you know, they've had good performance, yeah. Uh, but performance wasn't the, wasn't their primary concern. So exactly. I, I know depending on how we're working with a client on, on my side of the business, often I have a pretty good uh, look at what's transpiring within a practice, you know, what's working yeah. and what is not. And I would often, I would say that often advisors build their businesses around perhaps word of mouth and do very little beyond just referrals. And, and the success rate is not always, I think, what they had expected it to be. So when it comes to marketing, uh, why should advisors consider, uh, should they consider marketing themselves or their firms? Or is there kind of an ideal blend between those two? I'm going to give you maybe a weird 
response that might be unexpected because I would say not all advisors or firms need to or want to market themselves. And I'll explain that. So some people I talk with are happy with the size of their firm. Um, They're doing well. They have a large firm. They have advisors that are working under them and they have a good word of mouth, or maybe they work in a a area that's a small community that they're well known already. Um, And they might not need my services, but I do also talk to those people about if you want to one day grow your business or maybe sell your business, or you're trying to recruit advisors to join your business, Mm -hmm. you should be planning your marketing presence. So a strong site, a strong website and a strong email communication plan, I think those are essential for everybody, regardless regardless of if you say, okay, I'm happy with where my firm's at, I'm happy with what we have going on, you still need to have a strong website and you need to have consistent email communications going out because just like we talked about, you want to make sure you're staying top of mind with your current client base and reminding them of your value. And you want to have a website that works well, that's up to date, right? That has some of that information on there so you can keep your current clients um, in well-informed. Now, mm. after the strong site and the email communications, the level of how much people want to participate in social media, advertising, print materials, videos, webinars, that there's varying degrees of what is needed. And it really is very customized to the business and their goals. So I can't really give a blanket, you know, recommendation for which of those things or what's the right mix that you should be doing there, except I would say it's going to be specific kind of to to where they are right now, right? Right. And what their feelings are going forward in next year, two or three. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm I'm not going to ask if if an advisor should be on social media, because I, I think the obvious answer is, of course. And I actually see some practices utilizing the least amount of effort. You know, they share they share a, a baking recipe on LinkedIn mm-hmm. or, or just something yeah. mundane. And I recognize, you know, marketing, you know, again, it depends on the practice needs to be, you know, it needs to have a personalized aspect to it. But just to see a thumbs up or two or a like, you know, a like by something and, and then you see nothing else that's consistent, I sometimes wonder, why the hell spend any time doing right. doing that? And maybe it's perhaps for them to say I'm utilizing social media. So, and and I know a, a broker dealer, a boutique firm uh, that's made the conscious decision that they don't need to utilize any social media. Uh, they have a and they have an inactive LinkedIn page, and they don't post shit. But right. you know, it, but and I believe it. It you know they believe it detracts from who they are. And to me, who they are is is invisible. So why is it worth the effort, you know, for advisors and practices or RRAs and broker dealers and the such to be very active on social media and perhaps give us your professional view on what perhaps defines activity? Sure. So the price of advertising on social media and the access that you have to your intended audience are what makes it so attractive as part of a communication plan. So even if you know, you personally hate social media or there's one platform that you really do not like and you don't have Mm -hmm. time to use it, 
guess what? That's where everybody is though. So if you, if like you're saying, if you want to be invisible, then yeah, don't use it. You know, that's up to you. It's your your business. You can do whatever you want. That's what's great. (laughs) But 72% of American adults use some type of social media. You know, YouTube and Facebook are the two most widely used online platforms. YouTube is just starting to outpace uh, Facebook with their growth recently. If you know, for the first time, Facebook had a decline in users um, in the last quarter of 2021, but they still have mm-hmm. 1.93 billion users. So, right, right. you know, if you want your message to get out there and the more traditional advertising methods such as publications or things like that, uh, not everybody can afford that price point of those, you know, right. for some of the smaller firms, or even like you're saying, some of these boutique uh, broker dealers or RIAs, they don't have the budget or want to spend the money on some of those more expensive avenues. So mm-hmm. the amount, the bang for your buck that you can get on social media and targeting who you're trying to reach. I mean, it's really a great value. Um, and again, yeah, it, it can get, it can get very granular. There's Pro, I could do a whole nother <laughs> uh, podcast with you just on social media alone because there's really a lot well, to dig take in there. But okay, <laughs> so we can. I have I have a, a lot of content just on that. But um, yeah, but it really, if you want to reach your intended audience and you want to get a good value out of a, a not huge advertising spend, it really is a great great platform. Right, right. So, uh, you know, in a minute, I want to go over a process that you had created to give a practice really a, a roadmap to develop their digital marketing strategy. But I want to start with this first. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know if there's still buzz around digital marketing, because I think everybody's fairly aware of it. But I really have two questions on it. Can you can you just define digital marketing? And also, what are the common barriers or, or challenges uh, practices face when maybe developing and implementing their digital marketing plan? So I think of digital marketing as a lot of the things we're discussing, your website, your social media presence, your advertising, you know, are you doing Google ads to make sure when someone is searching up financial advisor or whatever your, you know, your um, product is that you have, Mm -hmm. when people are searching for it online, do you have ads to make sure that they're seeing your content, your website as the results? So your email communications, all of these digital platforms of communicating and getting your message out there. That's what I think of as digital advertising, um, video okay. clips. If you have a podcast like this, right, you're distributing right, right. all of that in a digital platform and digital attitude avenues. Um, so I mean, is it something an advisor should consider? Yeah, if you want to be known in your area, if you want to stay top of mind with your clients, if you want to grow, if you want to look modern, it's essential. Mm-hmm. So if you if you don't invest in some of these things, again, that's up to you and what your goals are and what you're trying to do. Um, but if you want to look modern and have a, a smooth, easy, inexpensive way to communicate your message, this is really a great value. So you know, paid website ads and social media advertising, boosting your post, it exponentially increases your reach and your engagement 
your user experience and your brand awareness. So even companies that I talk to that say, well, yeah, we use, we update our website, we have content on there. If it's, you know, canned content or it's something they're writing or market commentaries, and they say we have social media, we're also posting things there. When we actually dig into it and look at the metrics of how many people they're reaching, if you don't just take that final extra couple steps of advertising it and boosting it, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to reach a much larger audience. So even if you have a thousand followers on your social media page, whatever platform, And you post something and it could be an amazing article that you spent time on or you paid someone to create or a video, whatever it is, out of those a thousand followers, only a small percentage are actually going to see it because the way the algorithms work and they determine, is it of interest or not? Is that user, have they been engaged with your content? They may or may not show it to all of your followers. But if you actually boost it, if you spend just a tiny budget, a little bit of money and take that extra step of boosting that content, not only can you have it show up to a much larger portion of your followers, but you can reach like-minded people or your intended audience in the area for a relatively small budget. So when I work with people, even if they have some of these foundational things in place and I don't have to build mm-hmm. them from scratch, what we can do by doing that little extra step of the boosting and a strategy of what content we want to promote and get out there, who do we want to reach? I mean, they have crazy results in the beginning year. And I always give them the caveat, like, you know, you're going from doing nothing <laughs> to now right, doing, right. doing something with me, putting in this effort and the strategy, but also the boosting So yes, your percentages in the first year of engagement and link clicks, you know, I just gave someone a report and it was like in the thousands, you know, like your engagements were up in a thousand, three hundred percent, your link clicks were up, you know, eight hundred, ninety percent, you know, and I tell them, okay, don't expect this every quarter. (laughs) We're (laughs) going to keep, we're going to manage expectations. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm going to look so great in the beginning because you haven't done this at all. And now you can see how many more people you're reaching. And I have people that comment to me like, oh yeah, I had a meeting with someone and they, they mentioned and said, you're really great about always posting on LinkedIn and being on social Mm -hmm. media. And they were so happy because I'm doing all of that for them and for their profile. But you know, they, they're getting noticed. They're staying top of mind because we're guiding them, but we're doing that extra step for them to make sure that we're getting the most value out of all that content. Yeah. They're going from zero to a hundred miles an hour. And yeah. it's like, wow, this is great, but you're right. not going to go from a hundred to a thousand in next year exactly. you know, miles an hour. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard, you know, what's essential really to digital sources. I mean, I've heard you refer to it as kind of pieces of your pie, um, you know, a brand and logo and culture and core messaging. So what's, what's essential in those, in those sources? So I would say that the core, your core brand is at the heart of your marketing efforts. And when I say your brand, I don't just mean your logo, but I mean your message, who you are, your voice, your purpose, that should be clearly defined who you want to talk to. That should all be clearly defined before we move forward into the different digital marketing avenues. And after that, you want to make sure that that clear message, that clear brand, that it's consistent on your website, on your emails, on your social pages, your print materials, you know, are you telling people 
what your core message is and what your what differentiates you from other people. What's your specialty? Are you communicating that? Are you reminding your clients of that? And I talk about the website being the hub of all this messaging. So that's where we should be directing all the traffic from all these different avenues. So the the pie is <laughs> the different ways you're distributing your message. There's the different pieces of that pie, which are your email communications, your social media, your print materials, if you're still using that, your advertising, seminars, all of those should have that clear direct messaging and be driving traffic back to your site, back to contacting you to hopefully you know, engage with them. Right, right. So I, I know I mentioned this uh, just a couple minutes ago, and, and I'm one for structure and process and procedures, really from the standpoint of efficiency and, and, and to keep focus and on track, so to speak. Um, you had developed a, a, a process, a five-step process, kind of you know, foolproof planning for marketing. Would you, can you share those steps in a little bit more detail? Sure. I'm, some of it's I probably am repeating myself a little bit because you'll okay. hear me talk about this. But you know, I, right. it usually goes in these steps. Of I, I recommend to people whether you're working with me or you're just doing this internally. These are some good steps to take a look at. Um, the first one being to prioritize your goals. So, what's your business goal? What What are you trying to do? Are you trying to just keep your current clients happy and engaged? Are you trying to grow your business? So. Uh, you can, you know, avoid a lot of frivolous dollars and time spent in areas that don't align with your end goals. If you just take this time in the beginning to think about what are we actually trying to do? And then right. after that, what is that worth to you? So you determining the value of each new client of retaining clients, uh, determining the value of each new advisor, if you're looking to grow by acquiring businesses or hiring more advisors, because that'll help you quantify how much you'd be willing to spend and time and money to achieve that goal. And I'm giving you the short version here, but <laughs> and then step okay. three, I would say, look back at which marketing tactics have worked or not worked. So just by me digging into that sometimes and talking with the, the advisor, or the owner of the company, I can find some things that like, hey, we just need to dig in a little more over here too, so we can double up our efforts in areas that have already shown to be successful for that business. And then identifying resources and tools. And that could be a person, that could be an outside company, that could be a technology that can help maximize your marketing efforts. So I'll combine a lot of these things for people. Sometimes I'm writing the the custom content or I'm putting together the videos and all of these things, but we might also decide for that company that we can use some canned content. There might be something out there or a tool or a resource that it's not worth spending the time to reinvent the wheel in every avenue. So I think just talking with somebody who has experience to help identify what are some of the right resources or technologies can help you reach your business goals quicker and more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And then the last step would be a plan of action and accountability. So this again could be somebody internally, if you don't have a business partner, maybe it's a office manager that you set up a monthly meeting to make sure are you staying on track with all of these things that you want to be doing with your goals that you're setting and with the tools that you're going to be executing. So if you all set out 
you know, we want to send out a monthly communication to our clients, or we want to do a quarterly market update, whatever it is, um, you're going to have to have a plan of how you're going to stay accountable and make sure you're doing that. I even know groups of advisors at different in different states that they have meetings like this where, you know, they're at the same broker dealer or they're in the same similar business and they do like these brainstorming meetings. I think that's so cool. And they talk about what they're doing and they share ideas and it kind of also helps them stay on track with some of the goals that they've set because they know they're going to meet with their fellow advisors at that certain date. Um, Right. So I think, yeah, having the deadlines and then, you know, of course, if you're not able or willing to do that internally, then that's when people hire someone like me, because then you have me annoying you <laughs> and following right, right, up right. on, you know, I'm executing the things for them. So they know it's happening, but I'm also following up with them and saying, all right, what's our next thing? Or how's this? What do you think about this idea for our next campaign? And we brainstorm together. So it really helps them to stay on track and keep it top of mind. Cause I know you guys, you're busy, right? Everybody's yeah, got yeah, stuff yeah. to do and they got clients to talk to and you got a business to run. So, um, it's a lot. I know it is. So yeah. we try to yeah. help out. <laughs> right. So what their business goal is, what's it worth to them? <clears throat> they need to find out what's work, what has worked, what hasn't, you know, identify tools and resources to maximize efforts. And then, then the accountability, right? Right. Yep. And I have, a, so, I have yeah, a worksheet I, for those, things. If anybody wants it, I have a sheet that you can, like I said, you can do it in-house. You don't have to use me or an outside consultant. If you have people in-house, it's just planning all that stuff out. And then how are you going to stay right. accountable and on track? <clears throat> right. Yeah. I think it's on your blog section. There's an article there, isn't there also yes. about the yeah. uh, five-step po- Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, okay. Well, thanks for that. Cause I, th- I think I've, that's something I would need if, you know, you know, in terms of structure, I, I really enjoy structure. So, and I know um, as you look at certain marketing projects, um, you know, there's um, in, in one of those, um, you know, people find it really, I guess, challenging to understand exactly what the, ROI is, you know, for a project, there's not always a, <clears throat> a direct correlation. You know, I spent $5,000 and yeah. it gave me a thousand, a hundred thousand in revenue with three clients, or I had 250 visits to my site in three days when I typically get five and, and for certain work where the results are not fully, you know, quantifiable, you know, this is part of marketing and, and marketing is an investment in a business. So for those types of projects, how do you address the initial, perhaps an, an apprehension, and how do you help practitioners understand and recognize that, that the money is not being spent in vain? That's a good question. So there's, again, depending on what the you, business you have a good goals answer. are. Well, dep- <laughs> I hope I do. Depending, <laughs> on sure what the, depending on what the business goals are, there's different metrics and tracking that we can do. But a big part of what we show is, like I was saying, those big increases in engagement in your content, how many followers you're getting, how many clicks are you getting to your site, how much traffic are you getting, um, those things we can show in reporting. And some of those are long-term audience build brand recognition projects. So there's certain things we do for that, that over time, I want to be known in this area, or I want to be, you know, I want my, to saturate this area that everyone here knows us as their local financial advisor or whatever it is. Then there's people that are like, well, I want 
leads. If you want lead generation, there's different tactics and things that we're going to talk about and employ for that goal. And we're going to measure those differently. So it really depends on what the person is trying to do. Um, I will say that the bulk of the value that the people I work with get out of working with us, it's like we're your in-house marketing department. They see me as almost like an employee. So if you want to have these things happening on a regular basis um, and you don't have someone in-house that can do it and it's important to you that you do these things, then it's worth it, right? (laughs) To have it happening for you. It saves you time. It saves you worrying about it. It saves you from having to assign one of your employees to take time out to do these things. Um, people that get that and get the value of what I bring, um, they see the value in it, but I of course give them the marketing reports and the metrics on top of that so that they can see the traction that we're getting. And then, you know, the best thing is when I hear from people, you know, oh, I had somebody just walk in off the street and said, oh, I heard about you or you know, um, like I said, the, the, the other person I was talking to a couple of weeks ago that said they were speaking with someone and they mentioned how much they see all the engagement on LinkedIn and on social media. Mm-hmm. So that type of stuff shows them the value too, when they see the results are working. But if, again, if somebody's looking for, I'm looking for leads, I want to have this many leads. Then I talk to them about the lead generation tools that are already out there and the companies that already provide some of those services that might be a good fit for what they're trying to do. And then Mm -hmm. I work in how our communication strategy can work into that process. Because a lot of those things, you can't just like sign up for one of those. I won't mention names because there's a lot of them, but you can't just sign up for it and be ready to go. You have to have some thoughtful planning on, well, who's your person because a lot of those you have to call the lead within five minutes because you have other advisors calling them as well. So who's going to be calling them? What are the communications we're going to send out? We need to have that all written, planned out, a system in place that can automate some of those communications so that you don't have to have someone in-house babysitting it. So there's a different set of planning that we need to do on how we're going to weave that into our marketing strategy. Um, and then of course there's different metrics that we can track that way with how much they're paying for that service and then how many they're closing, et cetera. Right. Right. Yeah. I, and marketing is such a, the learning curve is huge. And if you're not, if you're not in marketing, you try to incorporate it into a business, Yeah. you, you have to have a quarterback. You have to have someone right. who, who understands this, who can streamline the process, make it very efficient and have you get whatever you're looking to get to market or, you know, whether it's lead flow or just creating greater presence in a community or within the industry, it's, it's something that's, it's, it's almost priceless. It really is that you can have somebody, you know, here, please take this, tell me what I need to do on my end. And, uh, you go forth and, and, and help me accomplish my goals. So, or objectives, whatever you may be looking to do. So a, a last question before we, you know, finish up on a personal note. So is there anything you would like to highlight or discuss that we perhaps we didn't go over or were unable to do on this podcast? So I'm going to probably hold you (laughs) to another one. So, but we're unable to get into just, just greater detail during, during this brief time together. I mean, I think we covered a lot here. We did a good job, Hank. (laughs) 
Good. Good. All right. I think we did good here. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, since we started off on a personal note, I thought it would be end to, uh, you know, to end uh, with a few personal questions. So you're cool with that, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, so what do you do? What do you do to relax? I know you're in Florida, so. What do you do to relax? I'm in Florida, but I might have a surprising answer. So to relax, I actually do boxing and jujitsu. Do you really? So, yes. Oh, that's cool. So that is that's my really cool. that is my go to. I spend it's, right. that's my that's my part time job. I do off hours. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, what's your besides that? What's your greatest joy? My kids for sure. I mean, I have two. Yeah. I have a seven year old and a twelve year old, and we just have a silly silly time together. We have a great time together. And those are the best, those are the best times. Just stupid yes, time together. Exactly. Which is, which is great. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, either living or dead, uh, who would you like to have as a dinner guest? You know, I would pick, I would pick my grandparents because I think okay. they're gone now. And I think that would be so cool as an adult you know, I feel like it, when you're a kid around your grandparents or for me, you know, I enjoyed my time with them, but maybe didn't appreciate the the breadth of knowledge and wisdom and right that they had. Right. So being able mm-hmm. to like engage with them now would be be incredible. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah I remember thinking when I was a teenager, you know, my parents are so stupid. But by the time I was 25, yeah. I was surprised how much they had actually grown up. Right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Exactly. So who's who, so who's your favorite comedian, either dead or alive? Um, I would say either Jim Gaffigan or Ricky Gervais. He's oh, Ricky. Ricky Ricky's okay. kind of an asshole, but I kind of like that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> hey, have you ever listened to Absolutely Mental? It's with Sam Harris and Ricky Gervais. No, I have to listen. Oh, to you, you, yeah, okay. yeah. I don't get paid for that endorsement. So. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and and who's your favorite writer? I would say. Pima Chodron. So she writes okay. a lot of uh, meditation type of books. Um, and I get a lot out of, I got this little book, it's called The Pocket Pima. And it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's on my desk and it just has like a little daily reading, something to think about and be more mindful. And I it, yeah, it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you may enjoy Sam Harris then and, and Ricky Gervais because Sam is a big uh, mindful meditator. Oh, so. there we go. Um, okay. Yeah. So, what would what would you be doing for a profession if you weren't doing what you're doing now? <laughs> I I joke with my husband all the time that I would be a landscaper or do something with my hands, like manual labor. <laughs> that's just like you do it. You can look at the plants, the final result, and then walk away. And yep. say, all right, good job. My my day is done. Um, he's yep. a he's a chef at a restaurant, a chef, yeah. restaurant, and so he can get and some I of that satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, like here it is. I did it. People ate it. It's great. Where everything yep, yep. I'm working on is usually longer term projects that takes a few months to to see. Uh, executed so <laughs> yeah my father was a carpenter and he's done at the end of the day and i built that wall or put right. in this window yeah. or put in this look at that window. be proud but, of uh, it which yeah. is which is great so yeah. uh so what talent uh, would you like to have that you don't already i wish i could sing i i love music i have a terrible singing voice um so i would just love it if i could actually sing <laughs> all right all right so and uh i'll ask this last one so so what are you thankful for Oh man, what am I not thankful for? I I write down a little That's gratitude. A I write down a little gratitude list every morning on my planner that's on my desk, just three quick mm-hmm. things and it's everything from stupid things like I'm grateful that 
you know, I have coffee to serious things. Like I'm grateful that I have my health, but yeah, I really do feel really blessed to have a, a family. We have everything we need. Um, you know, life is, life is good. Yeah. Well, you look at what's going on in this world. Sometimes yeah. you can say, well, I'm not going through that. So I got to right. consider myself pretty fortunate. So. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Erica, I really want to thank you again for your time today and, and just giving some you know expert detail on how a well thought out and implemented marketing strategy can, can be extremely valuable for practice. Uh, you know, for those of you who are interested in learning more about Erica's firm <clears throat> and how uh, you know, they can help you in your marketing efforts. You can visit them at advisorexpressions.com. You'll find some great articles on marketing, that five-step process on, on branding and other you know, you know, uh, useful content. And we've also included a link to Advisor Expressions in our outside resources page at advisorfirstpartners.com. So uh, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, or chat with Hank wherever you listen to programs. And Erica, thanks once again for taking time out of your schedule and sharing your knowledge and and marketing insights and ideas specifically as it relates to the financial uh, advisory practices. Thank you so much, Hank. This was actually really fun. I love this format that you're doing. Uh, I've been enjoying listening to your other podcasts, so I really appreciate the opportunity to be involved. Well, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it too. Take care, Erica. All right. Thanks.